Anyway, we are continuing my, my series in the book of James. I am going to do something completely different today. I wrote a message and yesterday I was debating with God and I lost. Um, and he said, do something different. So we're going to still do James, but we'll do it from a different point of view. I have uh, found it quite interesting to, to study the word um, throughout my life, my new life being born again, um, and, and to, to uncover all the, the good things that God has for us. And sometimes we, we take things the wrong way because we are looking at them from a very simplistic point of view. Now, the Bible is quite long, and there's lots of stuff in there. And so sometimes we can get caught in only looking at things we like and reading certain passages or things that prick our ears or maybe it's certain scriptures and we don't generally look at passages. But today we're looking at James chapter 4, 1 to 17. So it's a big whack or big chunk of meat that we're going to try and digest. And to be completely honest with you, there is a lot in here. A lot more than I can probably cover in, in the short amount of time that I have. And I do recommend that people get into a habit of creating what's called morning devotions or devotion time. And depending on whether you're a night person or a morning person, is spending time with God reading either His Word or sometimes people like to have devotional books. Spend time praying, just spend some time with God. My marriage to my beautiful wife, I can't believe this, but we, we go 15 years this year, which is crazy. I didn't expect that I'd make it. Um, <laughs> no, not that my wife, there's anything wrong with my wife, she's amazing. I just didn't think I'd make it. I thought she'd kill me. Um, <laughs> that's the context I wanted. Obviously, it didn't come across that way. Um, but our marriage has... Gr- Look, we've gone through things. We've gone through challenges. But when it, when it comes down to the crunch, it's, it's our communicating and working through the problem. We do it much better than we've, when we first did when we were married, wasn't it? Um, the challenges that we undertook when we were first married were comical now aren't they uh the fights that we had were hilarious you know um i i did something that i found mel's uh button um and i i learned how to push it real quick and i know she she told me off one day um and we were in between oh, we basically she wasn't home and so i opened all the drawers and all the cupboards and i had to go and do something and she came home and everything was open and if you know my wife, that just frustrates her. But that was my pettiness and my silliness in our youth. Is that a good way to put it? <laughs> but sometimes you just do some stupid things. You do silly things and not, you don't fully understand. It. All you know is I'm ticked and, and I want to make sure that she knows that I'm ticked. But let's go and read this. It's going to take a little bit because there's quite a bit there. But in James chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. I encourage you to bring your Bibles because I like the Bible. I read it every single day. So in James chapter 4, we're going to verse 1. It says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You just, oh, sorry, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, 
so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostile towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? His, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you who judges your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just the vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, that is sin. All right, that's a bit of a mouthful. There's a lot that you could go through, and you could probably spend a long time just reading and, and studying the little passages. But we are going to do our best to unwrap some of it. James is writing to the early church in Jerusalem. He's the head of the church. And he has big shoes to fill because he is the brother of Jesus. Obviously, in those times, there's conflict and quarrels, not much unlike today. And even in the, amongst the Christians, there's conflict. And there's arguments and whatever else that's taking place. Very similar today. And if you've been around the church for longer than a couple of weeks, you can understand that sometimes people just don't get on with each other. We all have different ideas, different opinions, a different theology, blah de blah blah But James begins to unwrap this by simply saying, after he's talked about all the quarrels and all the, all the problems that might exist, he says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. That's a pretty harsh statement. He's not talking about literally taking someone's life. He's talking about in the context of when Jesus said that if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. He's talking about the fact that sometimes because of our own lust in our life, and lust is the benefit of self at the expense of others, it's not always sexual. But there are three lusts. There is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so when we can sort of lust or have lust in our lives, it's at the benefit of myself at the expense of another person. And James begins to unpack this and say, look, the reason why you have problems, the reason why there's arguments, the reason why there's conflict among you is because there is lust. Now, either we're all human, we all make mistakes, and we all have our own humanity. Now, you're all in here because I hope, well, I believe that you're all, at some point in time, gave your heart to Jesus, made a decision for Christ, or you are in the process, or you're connected to someone who's done that. But none of us are perfect, none of us are whole. And at the point of salvation, 
we get the promise of being new creations. Now, how you have to understand how God sees us is he sees us at his completed work. That when Jesus died on the cross, that his fullness of being on that cross was a completed work in us. And so how God views us or how he sees us now is in that completed work, a finished position. God does not see time as we see it. He does not see today is the 9th, it's 10.35. He sees it beyond the time or the bounds of time. Now there are two Greek words for time. There is uh, oikos and chromos. Chronos is the actual ticking of time and oikos or kairos is basically an appointed position in time. Now because he sees us in a position or he sees us at a completed work, he also understands something, there's a big word, it's called sanctification. It's the inworking of the Holy Spirit in each one of us to bring us to that point of that completed work. That constant process of going and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to our spirit, bringing up things and issues in our lives that need to be dealt with. And when we learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He takes us on this journey to constantly work and deal with what is actually in us. Because even though we have a completed process of the cross, we still have our own fleshly desires. And our own fleshly desires can be summed up in one word, they're called lust. The gratification of self at the expense of another. And quite often what happens in us is we desire things, we have mindsets, or we, we want things based upon our lust. We, we do tasks based upon our lusts. I have made so many mistakes as a husband. And I've probably made more as a father. And at the centre of it are my own lusts. My own desire to... Per, to benefit myself at the expense of another. Now, I gave you that short little example of me getting frustrated with my wife and opening up all the cupboards and the drawers, right? I assure you that was not done out of love. <laughs> that was a very simple example of me being annoyed and frustrated and wanting um, justification for what had taken place. And so my lust... My desire to benefit myself, feel gratified for what had taken place at the expense of my wife, because I guarantee she came home and got very frustrated and had to close all the cupboards and the drawers, was simply in a form of lust, to benefit myself at the expense of my wife. goes on and says, You do not have because you ask because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask for the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. I tell you what, this, if, if you don't feel convicted at some point in time today, um, I, I, yeah, I'll pray for you. Come down the front, we'll anoint you with oil, we'll pray for you because um, the Bible is supposed to bring uh, conviction. The Bible is a sharp two-edged sword and when you actually read it and spend time, if it's not cutting the way the old self of you, you're not reading it right. We need the Holy Spirit to direct us through his word or through the word in order to shine light on areas that, are bring, that have darkness in them. If I turned off every light in this place, including the projectors, darkness is all around us. 
And when you turn on a little bit of light, light shines where you've turned it on. But there's still darkness that's around. Even with all the lights in this place, there are darkness in different areas because it's called shadows, mostly underneath the seats. But if you were to grab a light and shine it under there, it would actually reveal what is already there, or, but it would remove the darkness. Darkness cannot exist where light is. And as we read the Word of God and as we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and allow the Word to actually do what it's supposed to do, which is cut the garbage of our own lives, our own flesh, our own selfishness, our lust, it removes part of us as of our old lives. And we step into more or begin to exist or uh, are seen as more of who or the finished work that God has already done for us. It's this interesting process that it undertakes. And it cannot take place unless you allow it. It cannot take place unless we actually allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. This is why the Holy Spirit's role is so important. It's not just there for all the good things like the gifts of the Spirit. It's actually there to minister to you and actually to bring you into all truth. It's like a big light. Or if you imagine this was a mega torch, right? So right now they do torches with crazy power, right? So imagine the Bible being a light shining in your life into all the different places that need to be dealt with. And after he's shined and dealt with that area, it then becomes illuminated. And he moves on to the next area. And if we don't allow this area to be illuminated because we have the choice, it stays pitch black. Or the Holy Spirit goes, this area, this area, this area. And until we actually allow the area to be illuminated, we can't actually move on to the next area. And when James is starting to describe this or begin to outlay this to the to the Jews, oh, not the Jews, but the, the, the believers of that time in the early church, he's starting to say, hey, the reason why we have quarrels, the reason why we have this fighting is because of our flesh, because of our lust, and because unless we deal with it, it just remains. It just remains. And the conflict keeps going over and over and over again. To be honest with you, I have seen some very weird things over the last couple of years. And it's not always good things. There's lots of infighting within the church over different theology, what's taking place, and it's just utterly ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. But it's centered in our own desires to be right, our own lusts, our own perceptions of what we think is actually true. I've come to the point in my life, it's like, you know what, if we disagree, that's fine. I have no problem with that. We should be allowed to talk about it. We should be allowed to discuss it. But we're also going to find that we have disagreements. But when he says this, he says, you ask and, and do not receive because you ask for the wrong motives. He's really talking out the point is, we pray, and when we have our prayer requests and we don't see them come about, sometimes why they don't come about is simply because they're centered in lust. I want this, because it benefits me. Now, when, when you really have a look at your own life, and I, as I was studying this, and I didn't study this this, well, I studied it this week, just a refresher, but I prepare in a couple of months ahead. And as I was studying this for the first time, or not the first time, but going over this again and again, it really spoke to me and said, hey, Pete, sometimes in your prayer life, 
You ask for things not for the benefit of God's will, but for the benefit of Pete. And it really got me thinking, it's like, oh my gosh, how much do I ask for things in my prayer life that are simply for the benefit of self? I mean, I can make them sound spiritual. I can make them sound like, oh, that's, that's really good. But the truth, the motive behind it, because this is what matters. See, I can have a conversation with Brad. And we can talk all spiritual. We can use all the big words, you know, glory, hallelujah. And every third word can be hallelujah, right? Oh, Brad, hallelujah, here you go, hallelujah, right? And we can sound and do the lingo. But it's the motive. What is behind the heart that actually counts? Because that's what God sees. Sometimes what happens in our lives is we don't get or we don't receive what God actually wants to give us because we are not in a place to receive it because it's more about us. James then begins to go a little bit harsher in some words. You know, He's already talked about the fact that you, that you might murder because you don't like someone. Now he talks about the fact that you adulterers. You do not know the friendship with the world is hostility towards God. That doesn't mean necessarily that we're sleeping around but it can mean that sometimes we're flirting with the world and then going back to God. Flirting with the world, going back with God. And we get this confusion in place of where are you? Because God, God's about relationship and God wants to connect with us on a very real level. And God wants to take people and go, okay, this is your old life. This is the direction we're going. Let's go. And in that process of going for a walk with God, God reveals things and deals with things so we can be lighter in the journey and complete the task ahead for us that he has for each and every one of us. I mean, if you read Jeremiah 29, probably one of the most famous scriptures in all time, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good, plans to prosper you. We all like that because oh, I want a good plan. But that process of working out those plans is actually dealing with the junk in our trunk. And if we fail to deal with the junk in the trunk, then we're literally having this, this inner conflict between what God wants and what we want. Now, if you look in the world, and it doesn't matter whether you want to get caught up in the conspiracy theories, you can quote everything that happens, and I'm not, I have no doubt that man has their own motives behind the vaccine, um, the virus, this and this and that. And if you, you pay attention enough, you can start to see little bits and pieces. But the truth is that's irrelevant. Because God's on the throne. And man can think for any time or point in time, he can think, ha oh, I can do this and I can rule the world. <laughs> yes, but he has no eternity. And someday he still has to meet his maker. Whether or not he believes in him or not is irrelevant. The Bible says that there will come a day that every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean that they get to enter into eternity with him. But every knee will bow. And even during this period of time when we're looking and seeing all these big conspiracies, oh, you know what, maybe it was the Americans, maybe it was the Chinese, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. 
Man has their way of thinking that they are in control. I will give you a little hint. I keep saying this to my wife. And I keep saying this to a lot of people. Control is an illusion. You do not get to control what happens to you. You only get to determine how you respond or react. But we can be friends with the world too much. That's not, that doesn't mean that we don't have friends in the world. But when we're friends with the world, we are flirting with this concept of being in the world and being totally 100% accepted because we are not making a stand on the principles of God. And in a sense, it becomes this hostility towards God because we're neither hot nor cold. In Revelation, it talks about, he says, you're neither hot nor cold, so I spew you out of my mouth. I don't know how you feel about vomit, but I've cleaned up some in my life. It's not a pleasant thing, and the last thing I want to be is God's vomit. Him expelling me from his inner self. It says in verse 5, it says, Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which is made to dwell in us. The scriptures, right, they're words. But when we actually read them, when we actually invite the spirit of God who is actually given to us to direct us, right, who is made to dwell within us, and we actually invite the Holy Spirit to, okay, Speak to me. Because remember, the, living, the word is living. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And when we actually give it its actual place in our lives and say, this is important to me, it begins to work within us. And it begins to transform us. I can assure you, we were talking to my sister, sister-in-law, I don't actually have sisters, my sister-in-law, and we were talking about certain things and certain things we were talking about, blah, blah, blah. It was quite interesting. And I remember when we finished and we were going to bed, I was like, you know, it's quite amazing to see what God has done in my life simply because I have led him. And the journey that I have gone on from the point of my rebirth to the point I am now, and I hope to go a lot further, it's this been constant journey of having to deal with my old self, grabbing the big sword of the Spirit and cutting off things that I no longer need, the hurts and the, the inner conflicts, my own personal lusts, my desire for benefit myself, and whatever else has come across my path. But here's a really important part. In verse 6 it says, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposed is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I never want to be so proud that the Holy Spirit cannot speak to me. Because I never want to get to the point where God opposes me. I never want to be on the opposite side of God. I never want to be in that place where God can smite me. Well, he can, but I don't want to be so here where he wants to. It's an important place that we are constantly in this place of being humble. There's a famous passage of Scripture that everyone quotes, quotes but I think they misunderstand it. He says, oh, I just hate it when you get a mental blank. It talks about the fact that if we humble ourselves before him, he will heal our land. 
It's not just talking that humility that it takes to actually receive his salvation, but it's that constant walk with him, constantly humbling ourselves and putting in places, I need your grace for my life. I need you to move in my life. I need you. And I think, to be honest with you, it's one thing that I have found with God is that I need him. It's the, probably the one thing that has actually kept me from going insane. Some of the things that I've gone through on my journey of life, and I'm not here to brag or anything like this, because I've got nothing to brag about. Because the reason why I stand here today is because of his constant working in me. Constant journey of going, okay, you know what? There's things that need to be dealt with. Let's deal with them. That doesn't mean they're fun and God goes, bing, they're gone. That might mean there's a journey of going through troubled times and going through difficulties in order to remove it. It's like a, getting a big splinter, right? You get a big splinter in your foot. It's always fun when you can just go crazy and go boom, and it pulls out. But sometimes you need to get a pin, you need to dig it out. You need to pull away all the other skin so you can get it. There's always that one person goes, oh, I can get it just by squeezing it, right? You squeeze it and it hurts more. If you leave it in there too long, it festers. Oh, you're a, you're a squeezer. <laughs> but sometimes it's about understanding how to remove the splinter rather than just going, she'll be right. That's the difference between a surgeon and I suppose a hacker. Verse 7, it says, Submit the therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submission is one of the most powerful things that you can ever do. It's not a position of weakness. It's a position of power. Complete and utter power. Everything we've just talked about, our own lust will put us in a position that we won't submit. Our own lusts and our own desires, our old self, our flesh, ruling us, will get us in a position where we are proud. But we won't submit. But in order, in order for God to do whatever he's going to do, in order for him to rule and reign in our lives, there needs to be certain words that we actually put as part of, I mean, if you had a t-shirt, they should be on the t-shirt. But no one wants to put them on the t-shirt. It's called humility and submission. I mean, who wants to walk around in a t-shirt that says, I am humble before God and I submit to him? <laughs> Most people just want to go, blessed. Right? But it says, if we submit to God, if we humble ourselves before him, and we stop listening to the words of the enemy, the enemy will flee from us. And then we get into the nice bits. And it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's not talking about some casual walk. Today I feel like being closer to God. Oh. It's a constant walk of going, you know what? Not only have I got to deal with the junk in my trunk, but I have to draw near to him deliberately. I have to want to be near him. It's like hanging out with Brad, right? I can't hang out with Brad when he's at his house and I'm at my house. 
right? Maybe through lockdowns and whatever, you have to do it through viral. But, uh, you know, when we want to hang out, he has to turn up. I, either he comes to my place or I go to his place we go somewhere else. Because we have to be near each other. And of course, it can't see these good bits. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. I love James. He's so blunt. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands. Watch what you do, your actions. Make sure your actions are clean. Make sure your actions are pure. It's not talking about make sure you wash your hands for 30 seconds a certain way so you don't get the virus. It's talking about cleaning your hands, making sure your hands are constantly clean, making sure everything you put your hands to do, the work that you do, is right. Purify your heart, sets your motives. Make sure your motives are right. Because you can have the cleanest hands, but if your, hand, your heart's wrong, your hands are dirty. There's no point in cleaning your hands if you're going to eat in the dirt. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Bit of miserable. But he's talking about understanding the process of life or sanctification, that we mourn for our loss, but we move on. Something dies because we put it to rest, but we move on. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You will never, or anyone who gets further in God, is not because they exalted themselves. It's not because they promoted themselves. When we get exalted by God, it's because we are first found humble before him. Do not speak against one another. Oh, geez, this is a good one. Stop gossiping. Stop murmuring around other people. It doesn't make a difference what they say. It doesn't make a difference what they do. Don't speak against other people. Don't judge your other. Don't judge your brothers. Don't judge the law. Don't judge what God says. Just do it. We're going to skip down a little bit because of time. Then he puts in perspective of our lifespan. That here on earth that we are just a vapor appears for a short amount of time and then vanishes away. Most of us will live maybe 80, 85 years. That's what the life expectancy of humanity is now at the moment. Some people live longer. Some people don't quite make it to that stage. But we are just a vapour when it's taken into consideration of all of eternity. That our 80 years or 85 years of however long we live is just a vapour, a single drop of water in the ocean when it comes to our expectancy or our understanding of eternity. And then James finishes off, he clarifies it all, he says, therefore, now therefore is always a joining word, he says, everything I've just said, pay attention, because I'm just about to sum it up. I'm just about to join what I'm going to say to what I've just said. He says, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The thing about being a, a child of God is this. We have the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. 
And the only way that we cannot hear the Holy Spirit's conviction is when we have put it to rest. Meaning, when we have denied the Holy Spirit so many times, we become null or numb to it. It's probably a better way to put it. But to him who knows to do right and does not do it, to him is sin. There are things that God has spoken to me about that he has given convictions to me that I am not allowed to do. And that does not necessarily mean that you have been told the same convictions. That just means I have been given that. And if I do them, because I know that God is speaking to me, to him, to me it's sin, it's wrong. That doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong to you, it's just wrong to me. And it's simply because sometimes God works on me because of my past and because of the things that I've had struggles with and I've had weaknesses that he says, okay, you can't, you can't touch that because it's not good for you because it'll open up a door here and this and this and then, then you'll go down this path and who knows. But in each and every one of us, he t- speaks to us in different ways. He speaks to us in our different levels. But I can stand here, I can testify that this, not this directly, this Bible, but it's the Word of God that I have constantly put myself in every single day that has transformed me. Now, if you, if you ever met me, you have to go back a few years, many, many years ago, before I was born again, I was a completely different person. I've talked to people at different, different times about things that I was involved in. Most people say, most people say, I wouldn't have thought you did that. I wouldn't have thought you would have been someone like that. And that's the greatness of God. Because God can take anybody, anybody who's willing and transform them into the image or closer to the image or the finished work of the cross that he did for them. It just depends on whether or not you are willing to deal with the junk and the trial. James is talking about the process of humanity that we go through when we commit our lives to God. And the reason why so many things take place in the church is because even though we're supposed to be forgiven, we're supposed to be dealing with our stuff, oftentimes what it is 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 our own selves, our own flesh, our own lust that stops us. And if we understand that God has given us grace and that we too need to extend to grace to each other and understand that we are on the same process just at different points, that we need to give each other a little bit of break. We need to give each other a little bit of grace because God is still working. I hope, and if you want to know our hearts, is this. We want people to live to all their ability. The devil comes to rip you off. 
And he wants to remove you from the will of God. He wants to remove everything that could possibly allow you to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. He puts things in place. He puts obstacles in place. He puts people in place. He, puts ob- uh, he does everything he possibly can to get you off the path, get you uh, focused on something else, to get you to live in this place of where you're only based upon your own humanity, so he can get you from, stop you from living in the fullness that God has for you. I want to see, and I know my wife has the same thing. We want to see people living their fullness. I don't want to see you living your best life now because that's a load of rubbish. I want to see you living your fullness. Your fullness. Your fullness of what God or what Jesus did on the cross for you. But it's going to start with this. Not the book. The pages. The words on the pages. The spirit, the motivation, the heart behind it. The life behind it. And if we can capture what is in the book and apply it to our lives because what was actually in that book is the life experience of those who actually had direct relations with God and with Jesus. And if we can apply that to our lives and continually go on the process, then what you'll find is what you are today and what you are 10 years from now should be and will be completely different. I want to see you live the fullness of all that God has for you, whatever that may look like. And if you want help, I can help you. We do different things and we're looking forward to this year with February. Everything kicks back up. We are going to continually have church regardless of what that might look like every single week. We don't stop. And if there's no one turn up because I'm the only one (laughs) who turns up because everyone else is sick, then so be it. We'll find a way to do things. But we record all messages. They're available on Spotify and whatever else. Um, They're also available on our Facebook pages. Sometimes what needs to happen is we need to get real with what God has done for us. That he sent his only begotten son to die for us, not so that we could get into heaven, but so that we could live the fullness of who he created us to be. And so others could see God in you. So others could see the fullness of who Jesus really is. And stop believing the lies that get told so often because they're centered in a man's lust human's lust, centered in the gratification of self at the expense of others. I'm going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. We have morning tea. There's tea and coffee outside. Stay a while. The kids aren't quite finished, or they're going to wait for me. Get to know some people. Get to say hello to people. If you're going through things, I'm here. If you want prayer, I'll be down the front. But we'll pray and we'll close the meeting. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're Life and death on the cross, Jesus, wasn't a waste. It wasn't for such a small purpose as just salvation, but it was so we could live free. Father, I thank you that the pages of your book, your Bible, your word, has so much life-giving power in them that when we actually apply it, we actually become free. Free from the burdens of our old self, free from the burdens of sin, 
free to walk in the fullness of joy that you have for us. Father, I ask you to bless your people, guide them and direct them in all that they are. Fill them afresh, anoint them, bless them, guide them, love them where they're at. Pour out more and more of your grace upon their lives. Free them, bring forth truth and reality, shine the light in all di different areas of darkness. In your blessing name, with all your favor, your covering, your hedge of protection, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.